0: Hi. It, today is the eleventh of May, twenty twenty-one. Welcome to the Recovery from Relapse, Overeaters Anonymous meeting. My name is Rita Q, and today I am pleased to announce that we have the lovely Rachel Dobby, who is going to share her experience, strength, and hope. Take it away, Rachel. Hi, hey, Thank you, Rita, so much for inviting me here, and. Um... You know, I just want to start, like, I'm, I'm looking at the chat here, and um, I've never been to this meeting before, and it's just incredible to see such a, I always know I'm in a healthy meeting of Overeaters Anonymous when there's more than 100 people there, and, um, you know, to, to be able to speak at an OA fellowship in Ireland, you know, and, and looking at, no, for real, and looking at the chat and, and seeing a three-day book, Zoom OA, in, in Greece, um, I actually legitimately teared up, like reading that, um, I am so grateful to this fellowship. Um, and I think that maybe the thing that I'm most grateful for COVID is the ability to fellowship and connect um, with such a strong away fellowship all around the world. Um, it's really a gift um, and uh, it's really a gift in my recovery to be able to um, speak in a meeting like this and speak clearly. Um, when I was in the food, um, I, I couldn't do this. I couldn't talk to any of you this way. I remember um, trying to even just share at meetings when I was in relapse and, you know, having having been in recovery previously, having had something of a spiritual awakening, which I didn't hold on to and really knowing the difference and really, you know, feeling moved and feeling my higher power speak through me um, in a group and being able to carry a message. And then going from that to the way that I felt when I was in relapse, which was just numb, which was just dead, which was just my my emotional range my all of it just compressed to to nearly nothing and i think as as miserable as it is to be active in um compulsive overeating you know my whole life and not really know what it was that i was suffering from um having experienced freedom and remembering that i had been free and remembering what it felt like to be free and then going back to being absolutely unable to manage anything and and least of all my food um was um, really demoralizing. And my story I think is one of, um, of consistent arrogance in a lot of ways, and also of um, not understanding my first step, really truly not understanding my first step. And I came to understand um, the first step more in relapse. And it was so much more than the fact that I'm powerless. Here's what I knew um, by the time I, um, I got to OA, So, I first came into OA in 2007. It was about two years after I had um, stopped purging, um, white knuckling it, just absolutely white knuckling it. I had been to a I had um, I had uh, developed that behavior in college. Um, I was a binge eater from the time I was young, sneaking food. um, You know. I think the, my first my first thing, when I walk into anybody else's house, I don't even think about it. I walk to their refrigerator and I peek inside of it. You know, I'd find myself walking to the cabinets and just opening the cabinets. Like, why am I in the cabinet? I don't even know. Because I'm not thinking about eating exactly. It's just where I go. It's just the default of where my mind goes. And growing up, um, I didn't know what it meant to have an allergy of the body. But what I did know was that there was no such thing as having one Uh, single serve ice cream ever you know those those little cup ones Um, my mom would buy 12 packs from big box you know stores like I don't know if you have Sam's and Costco or or something equivalent in Europe Um, but we would buy things in bulk and um, and uh, you know I'd have one and I'd have another and I'd have another and I'd have another I'd come home from school and I would um, I remember uh, I used to I never thought anything was abnormal about chugging an entire Um, like uh, not quart, like uh, two quarts of orange juice, chugging it all in one sitting, you know, but that's, that's what I would do. I would go and I would intend to have a glass of it and I'd wind up drinking from the whole thing. And I mean, I know that that doesn't sound like junk food, but you know, you know how thirsty you are, you know, how much like sugar is in that. And that was just sort of what I did. I was definitely a sugar addict from a young age. Um, There were pieces about what my body responded to that I didn't learn. Until I was in relapse, but I always knew that there were some things that I was never going to be able to, that that I just um, didn't eat normally. But um, but it didn't occur to me that anything was wrong with that until I started purging in college. I remember being uh, like a uh, fifth grade, fourth grade, and in the U.S. we have um, these this pizza buffet place called CC's and they're relatively small slices of pizza. But still, I was you know ten or eleven. And I wanted to see how many of them I could eat. I would routinely eat 20 slices of pizza um, at this buffet until my stomach is just so distended. And um, and that was what I did to feel okay. And, and I didn't know that, um, that that was what I was doing. And I was, blessed with a pretty good metabolism as a kid. And um, I also have a movement disorder that causes me to move all the time. So I think that I had a little bit of like, you know, uh, grace in the sense of my weight, because it was like having isometric, you know, exercise 24 seven. So I could eat a fair number of calories, but I got on a medication for that movement disorder when I was about 13. And, um, and it completely changed my metabolism. And all of a sudden I started gaining weight from the way that I was eating. And, um, Absolutely freaked out and started started restricting but here's what here's what that looked like for me in that phase of my disease i was I would have um, you know a nutter butter, a little a little you know they're pretty much just junk food bars um, for breakfast and then I would have a plain baked potato with nothing on it for lunch, just a potato um, and then I would try not to eat for the rest of the day and um, and I would alternate between days where I was binging and eating a whole bunch of junk food and, and doing that and by the time I got to college um but you know oddly enough i i still you know i what happened was i accidentally lost weight cuz i'd gotten off a of medication gotten on another one that caused me to lose weight and i started noticing that the people i wanted to be romantically interested in me were interested in me and then i became obsessed with seeing how far i could take it and that's when um that's when i started purging um and that behavior quickly took over um and i i believe that if i hadn't stopped when i did it would have killed me um where it got to this meetings about relapse so I won't go too far into that part of my story, but um, except to say that I um, quit cold turkey found that I couldn't really do that went about because I wanted something more you know I think I was like the man of 30 that they talk about in in um, and more about alcoholism in the big book, I had a reason, I had a relationship, you know, and and maybe at the time, I hadn't quite crossed over into the hopeless state of mind and body, and if I had a sufficient reason, I could put it down, so I put that behavior down, and I experienced anxiety attacks at the end of every meal for years, Um, and I didn't stop binging, but I did stop purging, Um, but even then, you know, I found out three, three months after I'd quit that, I found myself doing it again. And I heard a little voice in my head that says that was the last time. And that was the last time for that behavior. But what I did is I found an eating disorder therapist who said, you know, whatever goes down stays down. And that's what I did. And the idea of that is that I would experience so much pain from binging and not purging it, that my body would learn what it meant to be full. And that the pain of being full would train me through, you know, through through classical conditioning and learning, you know, natural learning mechanisms Um, not to eat so much. And that just completely misunderstands my disease. It just, that is not something that will ever work for me because here's the thing, it doesn't matter how full and in pain I am. As soon as there's the slightest bit of relief in my stomach after binging and being so uncomfortable, I'm propped up on pillows um, because I I can't lie flat and, and stomach acid and I'm in sugar withdrawal within an hour and my restless legs are going and and I'm just absolutely miserable. As soon as there's any space in my stomach, I'm going back to whatever I was eating to stuff it back full again um, because I am powerless. And so I went on for another 10 years and um, somewhere in that time, you know, it, things got more and more unmanageable, but I was able to sort of restrict enough and my weight, I, I sort of had some sense of an allergy. Um, actually, what happened was two years later, I wound up in another 12-step fellowship because um, I was in a relationship with somebody who um, I judged to need a 12-step fellowship. And I, um, the woman I asked to be in my sponsor in that program was also in OA. And that's when I discovered OA. And I got just enough from OA in 2007, I two-stepped. I got the concept of a food plan I got the tools basically is what I did. I got the tools, I got a kind of an understanding of the of, of the allergy, but not really just knowing, I understood that there were trigger foods. And as long as I avoided my trigger foods, then um, then uh, and, and had some sort of a meal plan, then I could stay abstinent. And um, I understood that I needed sort of some spiritual, there was some vague idea about turning my will and my life over. Um, which I always thought was kind of a paradox. I didn't understand, like how can you will your life over? Like, isn't that using your will? And you know, and and so when I would pick up or when I would you know find life getting unmanageable, I would say what I had heard in the rooms of OA, which is I was taking my will back. Um, and by two thousand seventeen, I was in a relationship again, finally after a whole bunch of time, and it was um, kind of torturing my partner. A little bit because he wanted to be supportive, but the rules were always changing. And I was saying things like, don't ever surprise me with donuts. I can't say no to donuts, you know, or, or, um, or, you know, I'm not eating pizza. So if we're ever going to be with other people at a pizza place, you know, let me know so I can psych myself up so I'm not going to do it right, thinking that I can control my food. But then in two sentences later, I would suggest, you know, where do you want to go for dinner? Oh, let's go to this Italian place that only serves pizza. Oh, yeah, and maybe a side salad. Like I'm telling myself I'm going to eat a side salad like I ever eat a side salad. Um, and it was just like the rules kept changing and, um, and, you know, he very gently just said, I'd like to be supportive, but I don't know how. And I realized, oh my gosh, I need to go back to OA. And, um, so I went back to OA and this time I got a sponsor and I started working the steps and I had, um, a wonderful sponsor who got me started, but unfortunately the message that I got from her Wasn't just the message that I needed for my disease. You know, she told me after my bottom, after my last binge, you know, she said, remember how you feel today. This, you know, take a minute and let the misery of this day sink in with you because this memory is going to have to last you the rest of your life so you don't pick up. And what I understand today about me and my disease is I don't have access to memories like that. If I did, I would never pick up again. The problem is, is that I can't remember that pain with sufficient force when I'm walking to the refrigerator. I can't, and I can't count on that. And I can't rely on that. And I did work the steps with her up until about step six. And she was one of those people who she, um, she used the big book, but the 12 and 12 was more, um, you know, what? she didn't use the big book necessarily as a literal instruction manual. It was more um, kind of a principles and and um, and I didn't follow those directions exactly. And um, we were stuck in my sixth step because my life was not showing signs of being manageable yet. And I wasn't able to show up yet for the things in my life. And, and so we took that as a sign that I wasn't entirely willing yet. And I was to stay there until I went on. And um, fortunately around that time, I wound up in, um, in a place in Cherry Hill, New Jersey in a, in a big book meeting. And I went to a first step meeting there because really I was going crazy. I was abstinent, fighting, fighting the food. Um, you know, I wasn't binging but I was having five bananas in a day, you know like uh, it, things were just obviously like not out of order. And, and uh, my abstinence wasn't very clear the way that it is clear today. And I heard a message about the allergy of the body. Truly, truly the allergy to the body and the obsession of the mind. And I got a message with depth and weight in that meeting. And um, I, God had already, the, the way that I had, I had found that meeting a little earlier. Um, the sponsor that I'd had, had had to delay my fifth step for a while under circumstances that were getting a little dicey for me. So somebody from this other big book meeting had offered to hear my fifth step and, um, and, so around the time that I started attending this meeting, I, I really prayed on it and decided that I, I really wanted what she had and so I wound up leaving my first sponsor and, and going to this other sponsor and I started working the steps again and um, from, from where I was from step five on. And this is I think important because um, I had the best sponsor in the world but I didn't do my step one with her at the time. And I thought I knew everything. You know, I had been to meetings. I understood the allergy of the body. I thought I understood the obsession of the mind. And. And we went through and I started making my amends and I really actually did get a lot of the promises. I started experiencing neutrality when, when I was, I was most of the way through the amends that I was aware of at the time. And the ninth step promises were coming true for me. And it was amazing. It was a miracle. I wasn't afraid of financial insecurity. Um, I was engaged and I, I had no idea what I was gonna do for money. And and I trusted them. Things like job contracts were falling into my inbox and it was amazing and, um, and I was, doing things like my my level of perfectionism was changing. I was finding myself at work asking for help on projects that were nowhere near good enough to let anybody else see. And like, there was just changes. And I was experiencing the kind of neutrality where I could walk into a diner and walk past um, the, the dessert display and not even notice it, not even look at it. Like I could judge my spiritual fitness. I still can on any given day by how food smells to me. Because when I'm spiritually fit, I don't really notice the way food smells. But when I'm not, you know, it's like a tap on my shoulder of like, what's wrong with your spiritual fitness? And I experienced so much freedom in that period of time. Um, I had made one amend. And I believe what led to my relapse initially, there were two things. One was that because I hadn't really gone through um, my first step the way that I did it now, There were some allergic ingredients. There were some things that were causing an effect, right? We eat because we like the effect produced by alcohol. And I was still able really to eat abstinent food. You know, I could take abstinent food. I can take frozen fruit and and yogurt and things that if the fruit is not frozen and mixed with yogurt, it's fine, but you, you, you blend it up frozen, and I can get an ice cream milkshake effect from that, right? That's what I'm going for. Um, I can have foods that are technically abstinent, but combine them in a way that they mimic a food, and I'm doing it for effect, and what I didn't understand is that is me using food as a drug, and I can't do that and control it and enjoy it right? Can't do it. Um, So that was part of the problem. The other thing was, I knew I had a problem with sugar, but what I didn't fully appreciate was I also had a problem with saturated fat that was also causing the allergy of the body. Sugar had been such a stronger allergy, but over the course of this year, the fat one got stronger. And I found myself after I picked up, um, I'll get, I'll get to that. So I did an amend and it involved um, a project that I needed to do basically as part of that amend it was what was asked of me and what I agreed to and I didn't do it. So I'm here to tell you that if you don't make your amends and if you don't finish your amends and if you you know the the book says you know we're gonna make mistakes we're gonna violate our amends occasionally we're gonna we're gonna agree to behave differently and sometimes we're not gonna be able to but if we don't make amends for that immediately and if we don't if we're not sincere um, in that then we will not have learned our lesson, you know. If we've learned our lesson, then and and done an 11-step and really been sincere about naming it, asking God to help us, God will help us. But but that's not what I did. I just avoided it, and I um, have a character defect of avoidance. And um, it happened slowly, but I got more and more sort of spiritually unwell. And the first sign that I was really in trouble was when I was visiting uh, my family um, over uh, a holiday. In September, and um, I was a uh, maybe a year and a month abstinent at this point, and um, I was making two batches of pancakes, one for them and one for me without sugar, because um, I still ate flour at that point too. And um, impulsively, I had a bite of their batch, just a bite, just a bite, and and you know, it was like, oh my gosh, you know, it, it caught me out of nowhere. What did I just do, you know? Um, And that that really should have been a sign. I think I might've even told my sponsor about it, but, and I, you know, I didn't really do anything else. I was getting married the following January and um, I didn't relapse so directly, but what happened was I had, you know, started eating things for effect. So I was gaining a little bit of weight, but still pretty good, but I wanted to fit into a wedding dress and I went on a diet and I didn't tell myself it was a diet. I told myself that it was um, for cognitive health. And it was this thing with shakes and I, I ran the ingredients, all the ingredients were good. And I ran it by my sponsor and, and she signed off on it. And I, you know, I, I hung on to this one phrase in the marketing, which is that if you don't need to lose any weight, you won't lose any weight, right? And I was like, see, it's not a diet, right? You know, this is all just about feeling better and feeling more clear in my head and all of that BS that I got her to sign off on too. And I lost, I lost a little bit of weight with these shakes and avocados and technically all abstinent food until I found out later that Lohan extract is actually um, monk fruit, which is a sweetener. And I didn't realize that. I, but you know, if I had known better, if I had known to think of What's happening in my body is I'm getting an effect from the food that I might have detected that I was getting an effect from these shakes, even though they were technically abstinent. And fast forward to my wedding day, I'd had a plan of eating that didn't involve any sugar. The caterers had all been screened. They had assured us there was no sugar in anything. I knew exactly what I was going to eat between the reception and the, um, and the ceremony. Um, they gave us a new ingredient list and it turns out the things I planned to eat, I could no longer eat. Now we had we had um, friends who were chefs who catered the appetizers, and those were safe. And so, my friends, once they found that out, they were just gathering enough appetizers so that I wouldn't go hungry. But at this point, you know, you can imagine with a wedding, my spiritual fitness is not in the best place. You know, as much as I've been doing 10th steps constantly, you know, there's just a lot of things. And in that moment, I'm blocked off from God and I don't even know it. And, um, and I was sort of in the kitchen um in between you know we're about to take pictures and grabbed for a johnny cake which is a fried dough and definitely has sugar in the fried in the fried dough it's practically a donut without the glaze but you know i was able to kind of stay somewhat in denial about it oh like oh maybe it's just bread you know like you know if i don't know it has sugar in it it can't cause i can't cause the problem because i'm still thinking that the allergy only affects me if I willfully know, like that it can affect me if I don't actually know it has sugar in it. I mean, this is really where my abstinence was at that point in time. That was kind of, you know, don't be a perfectionist. And um, I thought to myself, I, and I, I reached for one and as I was taking a bite or about to take a bite, just like as um, my friends who were the caterers said, hey, do you think we should tell her that, you know, there's sugar in that? And the other one was like, no, 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 it's her freaking wedding, like, no. Um, and I heard that and the thought came into my mind that if I didn't eat like six of them, right now in front of them, they would think that I was making up this allergy to sugar. And s- <laughs> that's the insanity of this disease. That, that's the insanity. Instead of putting it down be like, did you guys say this had sugar in it? Oh my God, you know, which of course I could have done. You know, I ate six of them. And, and for the next year, during that first year of my marriage, the only year of my marriage, I was in a low grade state of relapse. And I couldn't get more than two or three days. And I wasn't going back to eating sugar, but, but I started doing things like um, eating tortillas and cheese and eating six of them at a time, you know, and, and I started having seconds and thirds, and it was just this low grade state of relapse that was tolerable and almost seemed like it was almost, you know, under control. It wasn't enough to get me desperate, but really it was miserable because I'd be cut off. And it was the kind that I didn't go through full detox, but it was just not recovery. And I got new sponsors and I tried new things. And um, that went on until about November when I sampled cookies. It took me about a year to go fully back to binging. And what happened, you know, it started with sneaking some dough. And then it started with, you know, everybody in my life knows that I'm abstinent. So at a New Year's party, I have cookies and they're behind a couch cushion, you know, and I, I have it in a paper towel behind the couch cushion. And then when nobody's looking, I'm reaching over and taking a piece of the cooking and popping it in my mouth so that no one knows that I'm eating, but I'm eating, you know, and and it's leading to binges and I'm binging on the queso and chips and I'm in front of everyone. And and even that's, you know, nothing. Um, And I went on a business trip and um, some traumatic things had happened at work. And um, I don't know what happened in that airport, but I found myself going to um, an ice cream chocolate stand and binged my brains out that whole airport. I ate and 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 I ate. And I I went from fast food restaurant to fast food restaurant and ice cream place to ice cream place and donut place. And um, when I left the airport, I I, I was driving and I was stopping at every rest stop up highway 95 and stopping for more junk food on the way. And wound up even calling somebody in my OA group, telling them what was happening so that I would pass a rest stop. I get to another fellowship and it's their anniversary meeting and there's pizza and there's donuts. And I hadn't had pizza and donuts yet. And this, um, no, was that I hadn't had pizza in this particular relapse yet. And it's like, it's been two and a half years since I've had pizza or donuts. So I'm gonna have them here, like, screw it. You know, I'll start tomorrow. And I, freaked myself out after four days of this. I listened to a vision for you and I got in our vision for you sponsor and I got real desperate and I realized I, what I understood was I can't keep eating like this. And I, um, sorry, I'm getting a little bit, only now just getting back into recovery. Um, But I was willing to do anything at that point and I was willing to look. And and at that point for the next three months, um, I had two months, I had 60 days of abstinence, on somebody else's food plan that, that worked for me. Um, and four days after I got home, my husband asked for a divorce because when I had gotten home from this binge, I had told him like, I can't keep eating with you like this. I need to be on a meal plan. And that was a deal breaker for him. And it came at such a high cost that that was the reason we were separating because he couldn't live with me eating but he couldn't live with me without eating either. And um, And we separated and it was actually a beautiful separation because I wasn't eating. And I was praying, and I was working a program, even though I wasn't getting through the steps. Um, but you know, being in step one you can only do that for so long without picking up, and um, left the island where we had been living. And um, from then, I would be like, you know, twelve days on, and then three horrible days off. And every single time I picked up, it got worse and worse. I had never binged the way that I binged in my relapse. Um, I it was two and a half years since I had first gotten abstinent, and um, and, you know, there were always parts of people's story I didn't relate to, but oh boy, I related to them after that. And I got increasingly desperate and, um, and finally, finally put it down. And I started working the steps. I had to replace it with action. And I was afraid at this point that I wasn't gonna be able to have an experience like I'd had the first time around. Cause I really had, had had a spiritual awakening at first. I just hadn't finished the steps and I hadn't held on to it and, um, and what I have learned, um, well, first of all, you if anybody's in that position, I did, I had a new, I did have a new experience and it started with my third step. I had a really strong third step experience that time around. I had a sponsor. I worked the big book instructions from the beginning. And one of the things that I really had to understand was the mental twist and the fact that I had always thought that if I was abstinent from my allergic foods and had a food plan that I could stay out of relapse. You know, as long as I'm just reporting my food to my sponsor and doing that, there's no way I can pick up. And, and when I am in recovery, picking up is unthinkable. But if I think that I can go days without meditating, if I think that I can go days without sponsoring, without um, working with others, um, or or I can slack off on my or or even um, be acting in these objectionable ways that I uncover in my fifth step, and stay out of relapse, I don't understand the first step because the, all those things are blocking me off from God. And what I understand today is that only this, this constant seeking of this relationship with a higher power, and I, it really is so much bigger than the word God. You know, the word God is just so inadequate um, for me, um, but this source of power, you know, the source, um, I have to be seeking it. Uh, and I have to be, when I'm uncomfortable and I get uncomfortable, you know I've got to be digging into that solution and one and one day at a time, directing my will towards connecting with my higher power, I have found freedom. I had a really strong fifth step experience stronger than any of my other fifth steps in this recovery because for the first time, I was in a situation where I didn't have the answer. you know, I always thought I understood myself so well and psychoanalyzed myself and um, and uh, but I had a a grief and a resentment. That I, that I couldn't let go of and that I couldn't see clearly. And for the first time, I really, really, really saw something that I had never seen before. And I think that I was able to do that because I had been willing to have a more thorough abstinence than I'd ever had. You know, and we have to be abstinent to work the steps if we're gonna get any effect from the steps. And that, that's really kind of what I learned. I, I can't take what I like from these instructions and leave the rest. I've tried it. I tried it a bunch of times. And every time I picked up, and the and and to this day, you know, I, I am not immune. I um I could stop working my program. My the biggest thing I struggle with is um is procrastination. And and if I take a couple of days and get really lost in that fear without working a program because I'm too busy, you know, there is no guarantee that I'm not gonna, you know, get invited to speak and next time say, you know what, I can't do that right now because I'm not I'm not well. Um but what I have found is that on a daily basis, I do this, I stay free. And I've gotten a level of freedom that I never had before. Um, I thought that I'd experienced a spiritual awakening, but man, um, this time around, um, and really when I started making amends, this was when I really got this power flowing into my life and into these other areas of my life. You know, I'm not just powerless over food. There are so many other things in my life. And what I found is that I can really see where I'm blocked from God by where these these things are unmanageable in my life. But when I make amends in those areas and I follow through with those amends, um, I get power flowing into it. As long as I am not in the food while I'm doing that, um, I have experienced absolute freedom. Um, And today I understand that part of what being returned to restored to sanity is for me, is um, is having the grace to recognize when I'm starting to get an effect off something. I recently gave up sweet potatoes, which were a staple of my recovery in true abstinence, but I was getting sensitized to them. I was starting to get an effect from them. You know, mm -hmm. my timer cut off. I'm sorry. I don't know how much time you have left. Oh, okay. Um, Thank you for letting me I'll draw this to a close. I'm so sorry. It's okay. You know, sanity is—is is my higher power stepping in to help me be honest with the behaviors, and the things that I'm getting an effect from, um, and a willingness to put it down. Um, recovery to me is—is um, is not thinking about food between meals. Recovery to me is having a real sense of clarity of, um, of when a food thought pops into my head and, and instead of reacting to it, recognizing there's something the matter with my spiritual fitness at the moment, because I don't, I don't experience thoughts of food all the time anymore. And so, you know, when the food is really knocking, I really know that there is something that I need to be doing. I need to be doing the 10th step. I need to be working with others. I need to be doing, you know, um, I need to be growing. This is the other thing. that's like that I've learned is that, you know, I rested on my spiritual laurels, and that was that was you know I'm on ai am I'm walking up a down escalator, and I need my recovery to be progressing faster than my diseases because where I picked up was not where I left off. Where I picked up was where I would have been had I kept going the entire time at full speed, and um, I have no doubt I'm the kind of person in relapse that I will gain um, 11 pounds in six days. And that rate will just continue. That's how fast I gain it. Um, that's how much I eat when I'm in relapse. And, um, by the grace of a higher power, I have not returned to that. Um, I don't think about my weight cause I don't have to, because when I'm eating abstinently, God takes care of that for me. Um, I lost the weight. I got to a body weight without weighing myself more than once a month. And um and uh you know at this point I get to live in a normal body and I get to have a normal work day without going back and forth to the fridge constantly and I get to have um friends and be in social gatherings and be there with the people and not with the food. Um and uh yeah. Um, I was able to have the experience and, in, and a stronger experience than I had before, but I had to work harder for it after relapse. It didn't. It wasn't like that pink cloud. I had to work for it, but I worked for it and I got it. And um, I think that's possible for anybody. So with that, I pass. Thank you for letting me share and do service today. Thank you so much, Rachel. That's wonderful. I'll we'll give her a big round of applause.